you know, growing up, if you have a, a brother or a sister or several, I had three brothers, if you're ever in a situation where one of the brothers gets something a little bit more than the other brothers, it was a sense of injustice, right? And you would usually try to let whoever it is know that that's just not fair, right? Have you used those words? And I know coming right back from the parent's mouth is, life is not fair. Get over it. But there is a built-in sense of justice within us. And there's a built-in sense of justice in our world. And when we see something that's uh, unjust, it puts a, a pain in our heart. We just don't like to see it. We don't want to be a part of it. And when we get to what we're looking at today is we're in this series of Joseph and it, today it's when he, when God shows up with conviction. And it's conviction about justice. When there is an injustice and God steps in and brings his conviction. For example, if I'm in the wrong in a situation, when God shows up, he reveals that to me. And it's called conviction. It's not, in, it's not an enjoyable emotion or feeling. When God tells you, you're wrong, you need to get this right. You need to make this restored. And so in the story today, as we're going to be continuing in the story of Joseph out of Genesis, you can turn in your Bibles to 42, chapter 42 of Genesis, and we'll be there in just a moment. But to deal with this concept of justice, Dr. Martin Luther King, you're all very familiar, declared that the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice. Go to uh, one of the early presidents, Thomas Jefferson, said it like this, and he was speaking of the evils of slave trade in America. And he says, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. He was talking about justice and the wrong of imprisonment or enslavement to any people group. And how that is so wrong before God. Longfellow, the, the writer, the, he translated a couplet like this. Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Or the God of justice may not happen immediately, but the God of justice will have his will done. Even God himself said it over in uh, Numbers 32. Be sure your sin will find you out having to do with justice. And as we are breaking the law of God and that standard that was put within us, that there is a requirement for that. Apostle Paul said it like this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. It's all this concept of justice and conviction. And when God shows up with conviction, we need to pay attention because he's doing a work in us. So, if you have, uh, and if we're going to be looking at Joseph's brothers again, and you'll remember that they sowed many seeds of mayhem in their brother's life, in Joseph's life. And today, they're, they're going to find themselves standing in front of Joseph. Actually, they're going to find themselves kneeling in front of Joseph. And the, how this justice is coming back around. The day of reaping has come. As they stand there some nine years later after all that they did to their brother. If you got Genesis, we're going to go to 42. But just before we go to 42, there's a verse I want to read in 
chapter 41, starting in verse 53, to give us a background. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. Remember, Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh that there were going to be seven fat years, healthy, prosperous years, and then that was going to change, and there were going to, there's going to be a seven-year period of drought. And so the seven years of abundance has now ended, and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. Jump down to 57 of that same chapter. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere in that Middle East world. Now that's the background. Let's look at chapter 42. When Jacob learned, Jacob is the father of the 12 sons. Another name for Jacob is Israel. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some of that for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, who was the blood brother of Joseph, out of uh, the mother, uh, Rachel. Joseph's brother with, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Remember, he'd already lost, he thought, Joseph. And he didn't want to lose his brother there. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land. At this point, he had been raised to this highest level in Egypt. The person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brother arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger. And he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. We come from the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams. Remember the dreams that the brothers would be bowed before him. And that actually happened. Then he said to them, you are spies. You've come here to see where our land is unprotected. They answered, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. We're not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now at home with our father, and one is no more, or one is dead. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. As I go through the rest of this, I want you to start listening very carefully 
to where there were some turning point revelations to the brothers, these brothers of Joseph. When they started seeing something, something came back or life began to change for them. Okay, verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. And if you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take the grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has now come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Joseph turned away from them and began to weep and then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in the sack, the silver that was meant to buy the grain, and to give them provisions for their journey back home. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened the sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver has returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. I'm going to ask you to jump to verse 35 because he just repeats the story there. As they were emptying emptying their sacks, there each man's sack was in a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin, and everything is against me. You've had those days when it felt like everything was against you. Then Reuben, the oldest son, said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. And he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrows. We'll kind of look there, stop there for a moment. And what I wanted us to look at, the turning point in Joseph's brother's lives in the midst of this story. The first thing that I see is that they became aware or their sin against their brother came back up again. When conviction of God is at work, he will bring back to us the areas of our life that we are living in sin, that we've rejected God, that we've harmed somebody, that we've been uh, not a representative of the Lord. That comes back to our mind. 
We don't want to hear it. It's painful, but it comes back under the conviction. It's said about the brothers in verse 21. They said to one another, surely we're being now punished because of what we did to our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. Why is this distress? This is why this distress has come upon us. And then Reuben replied, didn't I tell you we needed to not treat that boy bad? See, when these guys were put into prison for those three days when they were down there, I, if you're like me, I know that they, a lot of memories came back to them. That nine years ago, some things had happened. They probably had tried to suppress them and not deal with them, but here they were back in their face again. Doesn't that happen? Seems like that happens, they come back. If we don't deal with them, we'll, they'll come back. The memory of their sin just kind of bursts back into their, remem- to their memory. There's a couple of things we do when we're under conviction, when the Lord brings that back up, something we needed to get right, something we needed to fix with God or with our brothers or sisters. First of all, and it's what the brothers did, they denied it. That means you push it down, you shove it down, you put it behind you, and you go on. Just kind of deny that that ever happened. But what the scripture says occurs is, listen to this carefully, if you want a rich spiritual life, if you like, would like to have something that's more than just ritual church attendance, but you would like to have something that's actually more alive and personal within your soul, then listen carefully. Because if we do push things down and don't deal with them as God tells us, it creates a, a hardness of heart. The Bible talks about the hardness of heart uh, in a lot of places of Scripture. As a matter of fact, if we jumped ahead and heard Jesus talk about it, here's what he said about the descendants of these boys we're reading about today. Matthew 13, Jesus said, Isaiah is fulfilled You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they barely hear, and otherwise they could see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. See, there's a consequence when we won't deal with what God is dealing with us about. When we will not take... uh, take what he's saying and revealing to us, if we'll deny it and push it down, there's a hardness, almost like acid, gets up on the top of our heart and it begins to toughen it with tough like leather. And we stop seeing spiritually. We stop hearing spiritually. We stop having that intimacy uh, with the Lord because there's a chance we have a hardness of our heart. I see it many times. People leave the church. They've been hurt. Somebody did something dumb. Because we do. We're humans and we, we fail. But they'll leave and they say, I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. They get hurt. There's something not dealt with and a hardness begins to get on their heart. Or it might be they still attend. They might go to Bible classes. They may go into small groups that says, like Jesus said, they're always listening, always learning, always trying to find out more information. But the heart doesn't ever change. And the reason the heart doesn't change is because there may be something never dealt with. And God is saying, let me speak to you. Let me deal with this. 
And if we keep denying it, there's a hardness that keeps us from hearing and seeing. It happens we will be in a service and that hardness might show up when the Spirit of God begins to move and people start getting out of their chairs and they come and they are starting to pray and people are praying with them or people are giving their life to the Lord and we might be sitting back watching that and it's almost like a dullness is there, don't even know what's going on and don't really care other than what time is it. We have to, we have, there have to be a, a consideration what is the condition of my heart? Because what if God was speaking to you specifically that day and he was wanting to use you particularly that day because of the gifting that you had been given and yet because of this hardness of heart, you didn't hear him. You couldn't see what he was doing and you couldn't hear the call of God on your life to be a part of it. I think that happens. See, the, the only other thing we can do other than deny is when the spirit of the Lord convicts us, listen carefully, Turn and repent rapidly. Turn and repent rapidly. Because it immediately, Scripture says, begins to soften that tough heart. When we'll deal with it, a softness will come back. That's why repentance is so important to spiritual discernment. It releases in us the ability to see what God's doing. It gives us the ability, I don't know about you, I desire this probably more than anything. See what God's doing and go be a part of it. Or to hear what God's saying and be able to function in what he's telling us to do. I don't know if you desire that or not. That's really one of the deepest desires of my heart. Is to see and know, to hear and be able to participate in what God is doing. I'd just like to challenge you, and I've challenged me as I've been, the Lord's been speaking to me through this preparation. Lord, show me. I know that that's dangerous. <clears throat> I said, Lord, please show me how you see me. The areas of my life that need to be dealt with, that I've pushed down, that I've denied, that has created a hardness in my heart, that's made me deaf to your your spirit's movement. God, please show me. I want to ask you to join me as a church. I, I believe that you desire to see him. I believe that you desire to really hear his voice and to be able to be involved in what he's doing, what he's saying. But we have to start, I think, and go back and say, Lord, show me. And here's what I'll do, God. If you show me, I'll repent quickly. Repentance is... Also, it is an emotion of sadness. Lord, I've disappointed you. I know about you. I, my earthly father, because I'm a merciful kind of heart, I think he spanked me one time my entire life. And he says, I think I probably shouldn't have. He told me that later. I probably shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> and I, not that I was anything perfect. I'm just saying, when you have a, a real tender heart, my heart's desire was to please my dad at every step of the journey. And if I ever knew that I displeased him, it would break my heart. I was, went to feed hay and had a friend with me. And so I was showing out, I probably was 14, 15, I don't remember. I wasn't old enough to be driving, but I was driving in the field. And so there's a little snow on the ground, so I got a little wild. The car got a little out of control on purpose. I got home, my dad was standing in the front yard. 
<laughs> he didn't say a word, and just I just melted. <laughs> I just melted because I knew that I had disappointed my father. <clears throat> See, every time we feel, if we're a vessel of the Holy Spirit, correct? We're born, we're shaped, your, your image is in God's image. And one of the main reasons for that is the Spirit of God is looking for vessels of which to live within. And that's us, if we give our life to the Lord. You know what it is, a lot of times we may put a lot of sweet things in there. It's supposed to be empty, it's supposed to be a place for the presence of God. We might put business and finances in there. We might just put trash in there. But before too long, that vessel becomes so full, the heart of the vessel maybe has gotten so full or so hard that we cannot possess what we're designed to possess, which is the Spirit of God and to be used by the Spirit of the Lord. The second thing, I want us to look at become the brothers. They became aware of God's activity. When they were going back home, remember they opened their sack and found that silver in there. And then notice the first thing that they said when that happened. They said their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is it that God has done to us? We blame God all the time, right? (laughs) What is it that God has done to us? You see, the spirit of conviction was now working strongly in their heart and in their life. This is the first time that I see in the story where God is mentioned by these brothers anywhere. And it's the one that says, look, why is God bringing this judgment on us? And all of the evil they had done in the past, God, if you see it, was kind of pushed to the edge of their life. They were carrying the seed of the coming Messiah that was promised to Abraham and was fulfilled, protected through this bloodline all the way down to Joseph and Mary until Jesus was born. And they were a part of protecting this bloodline from Abraham. And yet they had pushed God to the outsides of their life because of the sin that they had done. God's spirit of conviction never really left Joseph's brothers, even in the long days in Canaan in those nine years. Think about it. You're like me. The things that you've done wrong, if they're not dealt with, they come back and they haunt us. In their spirit, or the spirit of God reminds us how they they were hearing it. We hated Joseph. We envied Joseph. We plotted against our brother. We cast him in a pit and didn't listen to his cries. We callously ignored him when he pleaded with us for his life. We sold him as a slave down to Egypt. And then they went home and lied to their father face to face. Do you think that ever went away? Now I think they may have pushed it back or you can. But man it just doesn't come back. It does not stay away. I think they reached a turning point at this point. It's called conviction. Third thing, quickly. Because they became aware of the need to repent. What's very interesting, we find that solution or that happening by the name of Joseph's sons. He had two sons that he mentions here. And it's really interesting that each name 
is what happens or is the message of Joseph. The first name was Manasseh. Manasseh. And the second name was Ephraim. And went back and looked at what those words mean. And it kind of struck me how God had kind of hidden this message in the names of these two sons. The first son means God made me forget. Manasseh means God made me forget. The toil, the abuse, the rejection, the slavery, and the false accusations. God made me forget. It's interesting that his name means that, Manasseh. And Ephraim means that God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Very interesting. God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh has to do with forgiveness. You see what he said? We won't forget because our brain just will not, does not built to forget all the wrongs we've done or all the wrongs done to us. But when he named his son Manasseh, it basically says, I set my heart to forgive my brothers and everything that has been done against me. And you say, well, why would he do that? Because I think he knew how important it was to keep bitterness from getting within his heart. To keep that root from getting attached to his heart. That unforgiveness will make your heart bitter and will make your heart hard and it will become toughened to the message and the work of God. Why won't we forgive? We know they don't deserve it, is one reason. Because we're afraid if we forget, they won't have to pay for it. God says he is the judge, not us. If you'll trust him with that, you don't have to. And some of us just want to remain angry because we, we deserve it. The problem of that is when we don't forgive, a hardness develops in our heart. But if you want to move to the next name, now stay with me. Now what was Manasseh? Helped me forget. Helped me get past what has been done to me. Now last, and I'm getting close to the end, Ephraim. Look at the word Ephraim. Made fruitful in the land of your bondage. Please hear this. This gives me great excitement. That through that name, Ephraim, that God will heal us from the very messes of our past. And then will use us through those messes to help people in the future. He redeems us in the, from the midst of that mess and makes it a message of which is there is hope for those who are stuck back where you were stuck. That is the whole work of the body of Christ, of the individual Christian. We don't ever need to run around saying how good and perfect we are. It doesn't take but a few minutes to find out we're not, okay? But what we do go around and say, you know, I am a mess and I've been through this because God, I walked through this, but let me tell you what God did for me. He helped me remember that and then take it to him, forgive them, and it is no longer the definer of who I am and where I'm going. As a matter of fact, he gave me the son, Ephraim, that says right in the midst of this addiction that he set me free from, I am now able to help others out of that addiction. Or the abuse that I took. 
He's allowed you to be healed from that so that you can heal others because abuse is rampant in this world. If, you don't, if you're not awake and you don't see, Satan has come in across this land and now massively in America. Satan has come in in a very dark movement of his, of his demonic across this land. Why? Can you see him seeking to steal, kill, and destroy at every level? He doesn't even have to hide himself now. It is rampant. It's blatant out here. The good news is you represent the, the resurrected Christ. You have the power to represent the kingdom of God in this dark place. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> you know, he said he's going to raise up a standard in these darker days. Guess who that is? You. And it's me. We're to be raised up to have a message of hope to a people that are stuck in a dark place. Ephraim, from the place of your bondage, you can be, you've been set free to become a minister to those who are hurting. That's good news to me. I love it. That's redemption. That's gospel. Vicki, come on. This would be a good day. I know we didn't come in here expecting, probably because of this is Christmas season, but this could be a good day to start with forgiveness to those who've done wrong against you, did things you don't like, hurt you, wounded you, and justly you—you, you, I mean, you deserve—you deserve to be angry. But it's doing damage to you. You used to be close to the Lord. Now he's far away. You used to be able to go to a Bible study and get rich insights from the word of God and from the spirit speaking. But now it's dry. Don't even want to go. You used to be able to sit in a service and hear a teaching from the pastor and the spirit of God would move richly in your heart. There would be tears. There would be weeping. There would be celebration. There would be praying. There would be faith. But we've gotten to a place that's a little bit more desert-like. Maybe it's time today to take the Manasseh into Ephraim and have the Lord redeem us from where we are. May need, may need you have to forgive somebody specifically. May mean you need to ask God to forgive you specifically. It also may mean you have to forgive yourself. Because sometimes we're the hardest on us than anybody. And maybe it's the day that you say, Lord, forgive me and help me, Lord, be set free from that past. Interesting message today from this story of Joseph, especially when I got down to Manasseh and Ephraim. And God was speaking so clearly through these two names. Pray with me. Lord, I... We come to you right now, and I just ask you, God, to uh, help us. Help us right now in the midst of this place. Lord, if we're in a dry place, a desert place, I pray that this would be an awakening. Lord, if we have a hardness of heart, that anger is quick there, frustration is quick from us, that you would help us, Lord, on this day to hear your voice, the, the voice of conviction that we may have pushed away like these brothers did, but today it's fresh and new. Lord, I would pray for me 
and for this church family, Lord, that today, if we hear your voice, that we quickly respond to what you're showing us to do. Because, Lord, one, we want to please you. You're our Father. Second, we want to be able to hear it when you whisper to us. And, God, we want to be able to see where you are and what you're doing so that we can be a part of that life that's in the midst of this dark place. Help us, Lord. We can't do this on our own. The words of a preacher cannot cause a a spirit of repentance, but your spirit can. So, Lord, if that needs to happen, I pray that it would just take place in this house today. We pray this in your name, Jesus, that you might be glorified and your church fully redeemed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.